This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or questions about our faith. Whatever's on your heart and mind, if you call us, I'll do the best I can. 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions in that way. Uh, If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app using your hands-free features just one button call now at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer our main number one more time is 340-9585 you know when we're getting ready to come to a new month or yesterday when we ended one our announcer at church always says everybody take a deep breath it's and today i'm going to say it's june already had our graduation uh, this week, and our uh, graduates addressed the church Friday night. It was really, really a neat time. And then, of course, yesterday uh, here in church, for those of you who uh, weren't paying attention last week, uh, yesterday was actually our 25th birthday as a church. Uh, we started May 31st, 1995. And we really had a good time. People are starting to come back in in uh, larger numbers. And it's just so good to see people doing well. And for those who are not able to come back, those some of them in the high-risk categories, they're just being really, really cautious and wisely so. Um, I just wanted them to know how much we miss them. They're part of the family, and we miss them a great deal. So we had a really good day uh, yesterday. Um, let's get to some questions and see what's going on. Let me see. My first question is a long one. I knew I was going to get questions like this. So this is sort of a compilation of some questions about what's going on in our world that, that I've received just today. Uh, the first one is from Mick. And um, he asks, should we as Christians feel the need to apologize to the African-American community for the racism of white Americans in the past. Um, make a couple of things. And, and, you know, when Jesus, when we gave our heart to Jesus, uh, he threw our sins in the deepest, darkest ocean. They say they are sins as far from us as east is from west. So why apologize for something or why bring up something that we're not guilty of? Now, I understand this whole concept of, well, uh, you know, we should apologize because we're white and we have white privilege. I see another question is about that. Um, but there's no need to apologize unless you've done something wrong. And unless you are currently a racist, then you don't need to worry about it. And let me address something else. And uh, I want everybody in this radio audience to know, if you don't know me or you are new to the show, I uh, haven't looked at our website or been to our church I'm 50 years with a black woman. I have children that the world calls black, uh, two boys. Uh, They are grown. And both of those boys, in particular my oldest boy, has been a victim of racism from cops. 
our oldest son, Ronnie, would get stopped. He never got a ticket because he wasn't doing anything wrong. But he would get stopped all the time because back then it had a lot of money. He was driving a nice car, and they just thought, what's this black kid doing in a nice car? And, and so he got stopped all the time. We just taught him how to deal with that. So I'm not speaking here from a position of ignorance. Paula and I have been discriminated against here in Texas as a mixed couple. We've even been told that we're not fit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been discriminated against by black people, African Americans, because they weren't thrilled that we were a mixed couple. Now, I think, Mick, we've got enough of our own problems and enough of our own sins without having to apologize for the sins of our forefathers. Remember, our worldview is biblical. And just as God never, ever charges the offspring of the sinner, neither should we. And here's what we do with our worldview, with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our only responsibility is to love people. We're not to see color. That always frustrates people, especially African Americans or other minorities, when I say, you know, in Christ there's no color. Yeah, but in the world that we live in there is. They say, well, but but you see, as Christians, I'm only talking to Christians here. Because I'm talking to Christians, we're not to see color. Jesus sees saved and unsaved. He wants to use the saved, even at great personal sacrifice, he wants to use the saved to win the unsaved. And that's our only responsibility. And if we would understand that, then race isn't an issue. Now, there's something else I want to share, and then I'll go on to another question. I've got a phone call, and then we'll go on to uh, another question that's come in on this thing. Um, We as Christians are not built to take on the problems of the world that we can't resolve. Jesus gives us a sphere of influence. And what we're supposed to do in our sphere of influence is we're supposed to influence people for Christ. Our job is to share the gospel with people who are unsaved. Our job with people who are saved is to encourage them, to exhort them to live more like Christ. To let our light so shine before men that they see our our good works and glorify our, our Father in heaven. So very, very important. Now, I'm done with this question, but I don't want to keep a caller holding. So let's now go to my friend Tanya in San Leandro, California. Tanya, how are you today? Hi, Papa. I I just tuned in, so I I just, yeah, I even missed the question, but I heard, I I figured it's about what's going on. But I have another question for you. But but before you start, Tanya, before you start, uh, San Leandro was in the paper here last week. Yes, sir. For yes, that sir. lady who was putting, telling Asians to go back home? Yes, she was. And yeah. obviously she needs Jesus. And so, we, you know, yeah. there's a whole lot going on. We've been uh, notified to stay in our homes uh, because of the looting that's happening. And we just really covet your prayers for this, you know, for the for our whole nation, of course. But yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty close to home. A lot of our friends um, with small businesses um, have been severely impacted, not just with the COVID, and then they get to open, and then this happens. So a lot of destruction um, is going on. So it's been very heartbreaking. And, you know, I've I've had these uh, verges of of tears and and just emotional, you know, just... And I I know that Jesus is in charge, regardless of what happens. He's still on the throne. And I know that um, we can keep looking up. When I read the story, Tanya, I was praying that that lady would run into you because I know you would tell her about Jesus. I certainly would have, and, and she didn't. She was one neighborhood over uh, from us, yeah. and, and I read that, and, and I've been praying for her. You know, that's what we're called to do is just pray for people yep. who are truly lost. We can we can give things Band-Aids to try to fix it, but if we don't get to the root, and that's to give have the heart of Jesus and have him as Lord and Savior, we're, we're just spinning our wheels going nowhere. So, I agree. How can I help today, Tanya? Okay, Papa Ron. So I, okay, so typically I sit down and I have a notebook and I write down, you know, when people have questions because, and I go back and reference them. And for the life of me, sir, I cannot find my notebook that has, a, and I, you know, put little tabs on there so I know what the question was. And I have been, um, I was speaking to a lady. Um, first of all, I've got to tell you, 
happy late birthday, Papa. I love you very much. <laughs> and <laughs> I pray the much. Lord blesses you with tons, tons, and many, many more birthdays. Um, Thank you. So I know we ta- we have discussed generational curses, and, and it mm-hmm. it seems like some of the folks that I have been encountering, and I say, you know, that's, that's not true. We are new creations in Christ. Um, and one lady, she referenced, well, look what happened to Eve. You know, we have childbirth pains because of Eve. That's because of sin and disobedience. But how do you distinguish between, there are no generational curses, and I know that we've talked about that, mm-hmm. but if you could, again, reference the scriptures other than that we're the new creations and, and those types of things. But that seems to be a, a common thread in, in some of these folks that, that I have just recently encountered, you know, saying, you know, there's power in our words. And, and I understand, yeah. you know, I, 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 you know, and it, it's kind of catching on a little bit. Um, and so where, where I am in one of the circles that I'm in, and I really want it in love. Um, so I got my pen and paper to write down this topic about generational curses and anything else that you think, um, as I mentioned, she said, well, because of Eve, we have childbirth pain. So that's, that's not a, she said, that's a curse. <laughs> and I was, that's a consequence yeah. for sin. That's <laughs> so exactly right. Kind of talk about, talk about those things. I would really appreciate it, Papa. I can do it, Tanya. Thank you for your, your tender heart and keep praying for the people who are hurting. And I could, I could hear it in your voice. And uh, I'm sorry you're 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 dealing with that, uh, but the um, part of the answer to the last question I'll repeat it again. Uh, I think will help you as well. Um, a couple of things. Oh, and by the way, and if if you didn't listen to last Friday night's Bible study, um, and then follow it up with this Friday night's Bible study, Tanya, I'm going to be talking about false teachers. Um, we're in Second Peter chapter two. Uh, and he is, it's, it's one of the most difficult uh, chapters um, in all of Scripture, and it deals with the very thing that you're dealing with. Now, this the whole generational curse thing is it keeps coming up. It, it, it has a shelf life, then it kind of disappears, fades away, and then it keeps coming back. And it is typically the purview of the faith and prosperity teachers, and it will always keep coming back. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, but it is a pernicious false teaching. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 30, Tanya says, uh, Everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. And in another point in Jeremiah, God says, Look, I'm tired of hearing this. I'm tired of hearing this. Don't blame generational curses, the sins of the sons, on the sins of the fathers. And then in Jeremiah 31, 30, he he comes with the conclusion. So that's the really important one. But I think if we go back even further to the foundation, to Exodus, where he talks about cursing a thousand generations, um, and that's always where they go, is sort of their foundation for generational curses, they, they don't read because it doesn't suit their purpose, they don't read what he's saying. He says he curses to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. But to those who love him, there's a thousand, to a thousand generations, there's blessing. So the idea here is is um, there are consequences to sin. And what he's saying is, look, when you hate God, there's always going to be curses. It's not generational. It's just a a, a self-inflicted wound. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that just doesn't go away. So whenever somebody says your words can snare you, that's classic prosperity teaching. They don't understand their Bible. When somebody says that, well, God says he's going to curse to the third and fourth generation, they don't read the rest of those who hate him. And they need to, to just ask them, well, do you hate God? Well, no. Well, then you have to worry about it. And remember, the generational curse teaching only sells to Christians. For some reason, Tanya, Christians are are the only ones gullible enough to believe it. And that's why it keeps recirculating. It's really, really important. Now, Tanya, we're going to be praying for your city, praying for you. But remember, and I'm going to repeat this from what I said to Mick in answer to his question a moment ago, is, you know, we Christians, were not built to carry the weight of the world. We simply can't. That's one of the reasons the 24-hour news cycle is so destructive. 
We get bombarded with all this heaviness. We get bombarded with all this pain, and and we just can't take it. I know people who are still unable to recover from seeing the video of that uh, uh, man, Mr. George. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Floyd, George Floyd. Um, they, they're unable to recover from seeing the video of him being murdered. The wickedness in the eyes of the cop that murdered him. And, and they can't say, we're not built to take all of that. So here's what we do. Our job is to be an influencer. Not a, an internet influencer, just an influencer wherever we go. Wherever we see pain, uh, as, as for the audiences, when Tanya called and she said, you know, it's close to home. Business is just opening and now they're being closed. And you could hear the heartache in her voice. Well, see, that's in her sphere of influence. And she can pray, and she's got an investment there, and she knows some people. But we don't have to bring all of the other problems in the world into our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we're ostrich, we put our head in the sand. But what it means is that we allow the Lord himself to carry those burdens that we can't carry. Because if we don't do that, we end up being unproductive in our walk with the Lord. We've got to limit our exposure to the evil in this world. It really is that straightforward. And so, um, uh, Tanya, we'll be praying for you, um, but when you hear people with generational curses, it is it is a, 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 an insidious teaching, and uh, all they have to do is read Second Peter chapter 2, and you'll see not only their motive, greed, Um, But you'll see the end. Uh, That's what I'm going to be talking about this coming Friday night. The end of uh, the line for those false teachers. So remember, Jeremiah 31, 30. Uh, You also, besides we're a new creation, there's, there's, there's nothing more emphatic about our situation in Christ when we come to him. The old is gone, period. The old is gone. How could God allow a curse to infect his brand-new baby born-again Christian. So the New Testament, which gives us the details, tells us that we're free in Christ the moment we give our heart to Christ. This nonsense about our words snaring us or trapping us, um, that's just an indication of somebody who is um, very sophomoric in their approach to Scripture. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you, and we're praying for you and for your city. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. For for any of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Tanya City, uh, San Leandro, California, uh, was in the news. There was a white woman who was going door to door and putting notes on the homes of Asians. There's a big Asian population in Northern California, and she was uh, in that note telling them, go back home where they belong. And uh, she was arrested for doing it, but uh, she didn't actually do anything uh, violent or anything. But but, um, I imagine what it would be like if you had a letter on your door from somebody in the community telling you to go back home uh, when San Leandro might have been your home uh, for for life. Uh, here's another question that came in regarding this. It said, should Christians get involved in politics? And I've got three or four more, and I'll sort of work them in as we go through the program, so please don't hesitate to call if you have a question at all. Uh, should Christians get involved in politics? Should Christians be marching in protest against the racism in this country? Um Our involvement in politics, remember, our kingdom is not of this world. And one of the reasons that the Church of Jesus Christ has become neutered in terms of its power and influence in this world is because we've made the Church too political. Our job is to promote the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. Now, our involvement in politics ought then to be to vote. Certainly we should do that. But here's the problem, you know, when Christians, and I get in trouble every time I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When Christians act like our president now, because he is conservative, because he's Republican, like he's God's man for the hour, they don't understand it all. God of his own volition would never give us a man 
who behaves the way this president does. Now, I'm a conservative person. Let me say that up front. But God would never give us a president. I'm happy. I'm actually happy he won the, the election last time as opposed to Hillary Clinton. But he's not God's man. There isn't any indication he's even a believer. I mean, he says it with his lips, but there's no fruit. There's no love. And if you get the Spirit of God in you, there's there's got to be some fruit. There's got to be some love. Not only that, but if the Spirit of God is in you, you change. This president hasn't changed. His spiritual advisors are false teachers. His number one spiritual go-to is a, a woman named Paula White. And she is one of the worst of the worst of false teachers. And this is all he knows about Jesus. So it's really, really important. Now, should we get involved in marching in protests against racism in this country? Now, here's the thing that we've got to understand. That's jumping kingdoms. If I was to be involved in a protest march, I can promise you the people that I would be talking to would be hearing about Jesus. Not They wouldn't be hearing a message against racism. And I would tell them, look, if people were believers, then racism wouldn't be a problem. The problem is that the other people who are the racists, they're the ones who need Jesus. Only Jesus can change your heart. You can march and you can shout and you can chant slogans. But you're not going to impact anybody for the kingdom of God. And remember, this is where our impact is supposed to be. We're supposed to tell people about him. And the Christians that get involved in these Facebook debates, uh, it just doesn't make any sense at all. When Christians, and I'm talking about professing Christians, when they're pouring out angry posts on, on social media, It's an affront to Jesus. So pray for him. Regarding what a Christian should do in a protest situation, I don't know how many of you saw on our local news the story about Lonnie Walker, who is the Spurs guard, um, their number one draft choice last year, and, and seemingly a wonderful young man, and evidently a Christian. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I've been told. He was at the protest the day after with a brush cleaning off graffiti had a broom and he was sweeping up broken glass he was handing out bottles of water to other workers and delivering a message of love and peace now see that's an opportunity for a light to shine now he wasn't telling people about Jesus at least not the parts of the news story that I saw. But he was acting like Jesus out there. And if anybody knows Lonnie Walker and knows he's a believer, I'd love to talk to him. But you see, that's what our involvement should be. We're always to bring light and not darkness. And the problem is that we bring darkness when we start acting like people in this world. We are to be set apart from the behavior of people in this world. And if our focus is on worldly things rather than spiritual things or heavenly things, then we're the ones who are going to misrepresent Jesus. There's no value in being involved in a protest. Now, you can be socially active and young people, especially young people, they want to be down there and they want to have an impact, they want to change the world. Well, I'm declaring, according to our Bibles, that the only change that we have in the world is when we change people's hearts individually, when we change our hearts for Jesus Christ. So please, please, don't get dragged into a worldly kingdom. Why is anybody surprised that there's racism? There's unbelievers. That's the devil. The devil is the one who's influencing our hearts to hate. He's the one who's pulling the trigger. He's the one who's causing all of the pain and doing all of the chanting. Why 
Why should we be surprised? Instead, bless those who curse you. Be a light in the middle of the darkness. And I am convinced that if we would fight with spiritual weapons instead of worldly weapons, Paul says our weapons are not of this world, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It looks like it. It feels like it. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against an enemy who has a hold on this dark world. We're living in a Second Timothy chapter 3 world, and we need to be ready for it. Christians, you can't fix anybody on Facebook. You can't fix anybody in a protest. Tell people about Jesus, and you can change the world one heart at a time. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls, 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program, 340-9585. Let me make a clear statement, um, just so everybody knows where I'm coming from. You know, when you answer questions and people here through their preconceived filters, um, I, I want to be really, really clear. What happened to um, Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis was nothing short of evil. It was murder. Um, I was a little taken aback that they charged the police officer with third-degree murder. I would have charged him with first-degree murder. Um, it is even worse when somebody that is supposed to be an example of somebody that's safe, someone that we can go to for help when we're in trouble, as, such as a police officer, when somebody else violates and, uh, that responsibility, uh, it, it, it's even more heinous. So I want to be clear, this was a murder, and justice needs to be done. Now the problem is that rioting mobs don't want to wait for justice. Like everything else, we have a generation of people that want uh, their satisfaction right now. They want th- their needs to be gratified instantly. And uh, because, and rightly so, uh, their voice has not been heard uh, in the past all too often, um, they get angry. Now, here's something else to consider. Uh, It seems clear from the news media accounts and the evidence that's out there that that the people who are protesting, you know, we have the right to peacefully assemble and protest granted to us by our Constitution. The, The problem is that when we gather, there are always people now using social media uh, who who are going to come in from other places with an agenda, and the agenda is to cause destruction. Antifa is um, 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 you talk about evil, pure evil. And they take people who are trying to honor a man's life and they turn it into um, uh, bloodshed and violence that there's no excuse for. Now, obviously, I'm coming from a Christian perspective. The world gets mad. They want to break something. But Christians, we can't do that. And so we remember to pray for those who don't know Jesus. I'd ask everybody in this audience to pray for Mr. George. I'm sorry, Mr. Floyd, George Floyd. Uh, Pray for him. Pray for his, not for him, pray for his family. Um, um, I did some research. He uh, is from Houston. He spent most of his life there. Um, by all accounts, uh, he served as a deacon in his church. He's a born-again believer and generally a good guy. Now, he's accused of trying to pass a counterfeit $20 bill. Well, if I had a counterfeit $20 bill, I probably wouldn't know I had it. I've been given counterfeit money as change before. 
But this guy's a believer. He went directly from that street in Minneapolis to a street paved with gold to see Jesus. What was done to him was unconscionable. And we should be outraged. But here's how Christians deal with our outrage. We pray. We, we become light in the middle of this darkness. We don't get dragged into the warfare in this world. So that's my heart here. Pray for our police officers. We have police officers from our church who were involved in the violence here in San Antonio. It got really hairy. We need to pray for their protection. These are not cops like those cops who stood by and watched this other cop murder. They're, they're completely, these are men who want to pray for people. They want people to get saved. And women, by the way. So pray for them. Not that good would prevail, but that God would prevail. Whenever we find ourselves in the middle of pain, we have an opportunity to soothe those whose hearts are hurting. We have the answers. We have the hope that they need. Here's another question that came in. This was uh, makes other question. Did Jesus clear out the temple because of the rich taking advantage of the poor and he was taking action against social injustice. Uh, he says there are some dear brothers and sisters using Jesus clearing out the temple as an example to justify taking action against injustice. See, again, we're reading the Bible from a worldly perspective. If we look at the Bible, Jesus was protecting his father's house. He did it twice the beginning of his ministry, and again at the end. And he was angry, righteously angry. Now make sure you understand that we can be angry, but we're not angry like Jesus was angry. You and I, we're not righteous. He did what he did because it was his father's house. Imagine if I were to come into your house, and you opened the door, you invited me in, and I immediately started moving the furniture around or, or redecorating, right? I, I took some off and said, oh, I don't like this, and threw it away. You'd be angry. Well, Jesus was angry because it was his father's house. But there was nothing about social justice or injustice at all here. He was taking ownership of his father's house. His father was being misrepresented. And, and he was, again, what he always did, he was being light in the middle of that darkness. So whenever you see people misusing Scripture, Mick, to justify taking action against injustice, it's true that they don't understand injustice at all. So let me wrap this up today on this questions about the murder and all of the riots. And it's amazing. We, we've got a man who was unjustly murdered, and we, we devolve into talking about riots. What should we as Christians be doing? What we need to do is pray. We need to follow Jesus. We need to talk to people in our own sphere of influence. There's nothing else that we can do. And one more time, I want to repeat what I told Tanya and what I said to Mick earlier, we're not built to carry the weight of the world. Only Jesus has the shoulders to do that. So what we're to do is to influence the people in our lives, the people that we come along. What we're to do is to love our neighbor. What we're to do is to minister to those in need as best we can. And then let God use you to win other people's hearts. Great, great question. There's a lot of people with heavy hearts right now. Um, I think God likes it that our hearts are tender, that our hearts are breaking. But what he wants us to do with that heartbreak is take action by sharing the gospel message with people who need Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay, no more rioting questions or Mr. Floyd questions. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Okay, let's take him. We've got somebody on the phone who wants to disagree with me, but he said he would be polite, so let's uh, let's talk to him. Who is he on the line? Caller, are you there? Okay, uh, the caller's not there. Here's a question from Beverly. Does the devil still have access to heaven? If so, why? <laughs> Beverly, yeah, he does still have access to heaven. I, I don't know why. That's a question that I've always thought, well, I'm going to ask God. Obviously, when we get to heaven, we're going to know all of the, the answers. Uh, but but remember, the devil is described as a servant of God, not an, a willing servant, not a loving servant, or a faithful servant, but still a servant. This is one of the, 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 the wonders of the sovereignty of God. He can use those who hate him the most to accomplish his will. He can take our rebellion and still work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So, Beverly, if I was God, I'm not, and everybody should be glad about that. But if I was God, I would put a lock on that door and Satan would never come near. But God, for his reasons, uh, has decided that um, he can use even the devil. And uh, the devil is as an angel, uh, fallen, but an angel is God's brightest angel, perhaps, uh, most beautiful, most powerful. Um, still has access to heaven. This is one of the things that we will probably do uh, when we talk to the Lord. Let's go to line one, talk to Jim in San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Listen, with all due respect, and I mean this very courteously, but may I offer an explanation that might be uh, helpful and elucidate why he was charged with not first-degree murder. May I do that? Yes, you may. Thank you. Uh, First-degree murder is where you formed a premeditated effort to go kill somebody. He didn't intend, and he didn't form the idea to go out to kill that guy. I think the charges that they formed it with, I've seen the films, there's no doubt that the guy was killed. But the issue is, did he have premeditated intent to kill? He did not. So, in Texas, that would be, and I did practice law for over 30 years, but I will tell you this, that he, uh, there is no doubt that when we say he would be charged with first-degree murder, may I offer a, a polite suggestion that a person in a responsible position such as you should be a little careful about that kind of thing, when especially that we don't know all the facts, there's not been a trial, and we don't, and we, we have to be careful to encourage people with emotions rather than facts. And, and in Texas, that would be manslaughter or second-degree murder. And I think, from what I understand of the law there, that probably is an appropriate charge. Okay. Jim, I, criticism received. I, 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 I have a, a disagreement, not, not, not on the law. You're an attorney. I'm not. Um, um, but but um, I understand the criticism and, I, and it's received and I thank you for caring enough to call and correct me or at least to inform me on the issue. I uh, appreciate the call. Uh, let, let me say this. The reason I said first degree murder, when a guy stands with his uh, knee on a man's neck over a period of time, I think an act that didn't begin with premeditation uh, turns out to be. I think a lot of times when we see violence on the streets, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to go out and kill somebody. I'm going to have a plan to do it. But I think in the rage of the moment, I think while the, the, the adrenaline is pumping, I, I think people uh, who have been convicted of first-degree murder um, didn't initially intend uh, to, to kill anybody. It was just a day like any other day. So um, um, seeing what we all saw, it's, it's easy to say, well, let's wait for the facts. And you're right. There's not going to be any judgment until there has been a trial. Um, but I'll tell you this. I'm told that this is the fastest a police officer in Minnesota has ever been charged uh, with a crime like this. Um, 
he was being pleaded with, the people around him filming it were pleading with him, telling them that the guy can't breathe. And I'm just going to say this, if I'm a, a black man who has had run-ins with the law um, and, and, and a white person tells me, now I'm a white person, you guys all know that, but if a white person tells me, well, let's just wait for all the facts, what they're going to say in anger and frustration, remember most don't know Jesus who are, who are responding like this, what they're going to say is, we've waited and we've waited and we've waited for all these years and still black men are being murdered in the streets. So, um, you know, the Bible, the principle, biblically, Jim, is too much is given, much is required. And a cop has a responsibility to rise above the violence, to rise above the adrenaline, and make a just decision when it comes to dealing with people. So, I appreciate it, Jim, and you were courteous. You are a gentleman, and I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy calling online, too. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Happy 25th. Thank you, Jimmy. I saw you all yesterday. Uh, but I was going to say, you know, I, I have this big issue. I, I try to witness people and, and friends of mine, and I, they were complaining about this. But, you know, these things are going to happen, and we're living in the last days. I'm not sure about Barabbas. We, we've got no indication he was a, part, a member of the Zealot Party, um, historically secular history, Josephus, or or biblically. Uh, but but all we know about Barabbas, he was an outstanding bad guy. And by that I mean he was notorious among bad guys. He was like the baddest of the bad guys. And, um, um, you know, I think, Jimmy, the, the, the key point you just made is that people don't want to hear that we're in the last days because they don't want to come to Christ. But I'm going to read something, and this isn't Pastor Ron, this is the Apostle Paul. Just before he dies, it's like, Timothy, i got to tell you this, this, this is my, my swan song. Mark this, there will be terrible or perilous times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Does that not describe exactly the time that we're living in, the things that we're watching on our television screens? This ought then to be a clarion call to Christians to understand that it's our responsibility not to look out but to look up because our redemption draws near. And Jesus is coming soon. And we ought to be on a mission. I I mentioned Lonnie Walker from the Spurs uh, in the first half of the program. I love the fact that he went to clean up. I love the fact that he went to spread love. Well, that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be cleaning up as many as we possibly can who don't know Jesus before Jesus comes. And that's what we need to do. And this is this time where uh, people only care about their own agendas. There's no neutral ground. There's no um, um, conciliatory tones. Um, People think they're right. They can spread on social media. They're right, boastful abusive without love that word actually means without natural affection the affection a mother would have for a child instinctively we don't have that anymore without self-control and brutal 
That's what we're seeing in our streets right now. Christians, we need to be looking up because Jesus is coming soon. Jimmy, thanks you for the congratulation on our 25th birthday. I, as you know, if you heard it, watched it yesterday, I never, um, I never thought I'd make 25 years. I got started late in life as a Christian. I never thought I would, I would make it. So I'm really, really grateful. Let's go to Cindy holding on line three. Cindy, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, hi, I Cindy. Hi, you know what, I was just thinking about the question of why would Satan have access to heaven? Now, we know that he's never going to repent. It's just not going to happen. But I'm wondering if it's just God showing a picture of God's mercy, allowing him there, you know, showing that, well, anybody could repent. And if somebody repents, they repent and God accepts them. And maybe it's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of an oddball thought I have, but but I, I think you see where, what I mean on it. So I'll just get off the phone because I'm probably not making sense now. Bye. <laughs> no, you're you you you're making sense, and you always do. I just disagree in this particular case. Uh, I, think, um, I think God delights in demonstrating his power, his total control, his mastery over even the angel who hates him the most. You remember when Satan came? To uh, to God and 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 ask for Job. God said to him, uh, "You've been checking out my servant Job. It's a military term, and and it, it indicates that he's been lo- walking around looking for an opening to attack Job. And God God said, "I have no one like Job. There's no one righteous like him. He's the best of the best." And Cindy, when when God can take evil intent of the most powerful thing He's ever created. And give him orders. Okay, you can do this, you can do this, but you can't do that. And then for the devil to see God work all of that for the good. Imagine how frustrated the devil was when um, Job would never curse God. And not only would he not curse God after everything was taken from him and God blessed him at the end, um, Job had a greater revelation of God and who he was than, than before. In other words, if he was alone in his righteousness before all of this, how much more alone was he in his righteousness after all of the the, the, the agony that he went through? And God simply says, there he went, triumphed again. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail against the church. And no matter how much people try, the church will be standing at the end. And, And Cindy, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, but but certainly not God giving Satan a chance to repent. Uh, angels had one choice. They made it, and, uh, and uh, they know that there's no way back. They know there's no way back. Well, we're inside now four minutes, so I think I just got time maybe for one more question. This one's from Hugh. He said, uh, Pastor Ron, how could Moses have spoken to God face to face? Well, Hugh, you're right. Nobody can see God's face or they would die. The the glory would consume us. But when it talks in Exodus about Moses uh, speaking to God or God speaking to Moses as one would speak to a friend, it's as he would speak face to face. It doesn't indicate that at all that Moses spoke to God face to face. You remember in Exodus 33, it's one of my favorite chapters when when Moses, um, uh, he, he, he's so enthralled with God, he just blurts out, God, show me your glory. And God chuckled from heaven and said, no, if I showed you my glory, you'd be a crispy critter. So, so no, I can't show my glory. But here's what he said. He said, tuck yourself way back into the cleft of that cave. And I'm going to let the backside, and literally the term is the afterglow of my glory pass by. And the afterglow of God's glory, uh, on the effect on Moses tucked way back in a rock, was almost too much for him. His face shone like the sun as a result of that. So it's not that Moses spoke to God and saw him face to face, but what he said, it's like, it's like they pulled up chairs. God sat in one, and Moses sat in the other, and they had a conversation. And Moses spoke to God like that a lot. It's one of the reasons, Hugh, that I encourage people all the time to walk with Jesus, just to talk to him. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be King James English prayers. All it has to be is you hanging out with Jesus, and you're going to find out 
what it's really like to have a conversation with Jesus. If you'll just talk to him, it will so bless you so abundantly. You know, I go out in the mornings and I'm doing exercise and I try to get the, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord the whole time I'm exercising, but, but I leave myself a long time just to walk so I can focus on really just being with him. And you know what? The truth is my mind wanders. People will stop me and say hi and, 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 and I have to come back. Oh, Jesus, I want to talk to you. I'm sorry. Don't let my mind wander, Lord. I'm so sorry. And, and you know what? It's just like it's okay. It's almost as though he just is saying to me, I just like being out here with you. And if we believe that and really get it, it would change our lives. So Moses walked with God. Moses muttered under his breath at God a bunch of times. Moses complained to God. Remember, they would argue all the time about whose people they were. These people you've given me. And God would say, no, no, no. These are your people, not my people. Moses would say, I didn't choose them. You made me do this. And, and, and you know, but that's what real conversation's about. I've never once started my walk with God with, dear Heavenly Father, Lord. I just get up and say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hey, thanks for the calls. Uh, I know our nation's hurting. Be praying. Be praying for people to receive Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.